progress of healing the wound that the blow that the blow made. Coming, coming to you loud and clear. Like the brain doesn't want attention. To heal a people. Like the brain doesn't want attention. To heal, to heal a people. This country is desperately sick. Yes, yes, and more yes. This is H. Soul. You are joining the To Heal the People podcast. Welcome to season number two, if you can believe it. This is where we are, and it is going to be a spectacular season. I promise you that. We have created a season number two that is geared and specifically designed to walk you through the specific levels, the various levels of your heart, soul, and spirit, of your mind, body, and soul that you are absolutely going to love. 100% money back guarantee. (laughs) And so I am just really excited to be here with you and to walk you through this, this season's journey. So with that said, we are in episode one of season number two, where we are talking about mindset. In these next two or three podcasts, what we're specifically going to deal with is mindset shifting, where we each come to understand individually and collectively that I create my life. Now, check this out. This is a revolutionary stance that has to be taken. And there is a historical reality of why this is difficult for specifically people in black and indigenous communities, because it is an opposition, right? This idea of I create my life is in direct opposition to our trajectory and experience here in America. What we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is examine together why we have the proclivities that we do on a personal and collective level that allows the idea of whiteness 
to always lead and to lead us. This is H Soul. You're tuned in to Heal the People podcast. There's no place that I'd rather be than where I am right now. Let's get this work. My body is fly. My body is beautiful. My body is bold. My body is mine. My body is fly. My body is glad that we're able to hop in here again the next 12 weeks will really be about mindset so as we're going through this topic it'd be great if everybody has some water a cup of water a glass of water because there are going to be some subjects that we're talking about and some of these topics that are going to go deep and so when i think we need a break i'm just going to say water so that you could take a moment take a deep breath drink some water, help to uh, metabolize the information. And as my good brother Theo says, help to transmute the information so that it, it really lands where it's supposed to land and you can move out the resistance that, that may be there. So with that being said, let's move directly into the topic at hand. The question is, if Harriet Tubman came today, would you go? And although that seems like a cheeky way to bring up history or, you know, that's a very real question in, in what we are going to talk about insofar as I create my life. So I, I want that question again to sit with you insofar as if Harriet Tubman knocked on your door tonight and said, listen, we're heading down to Costa Rica. There's no drama. You'll be able to, you know, create whatever world that you decide that you want to create. You'll be able to work. You'll be able to, would you go? And a better question that may help you is what would stop you from going? What is it that you could think of that would stop you from going? If what was promised was freedom at the end of that journey. What would stop you in this moment from saying, hell yes, let's roll? Because it's easy for us in 2022 to reflect and say, if Harriet Tubman came, everybody likes to talk all that yin-yang and say, oh, yeah, I, yeah, that'd be me. I would have been gone. And she wouldn't even have to ask me. She wouldn't even have to come to my door. I, right. Yeah. And then like it's easy to do that when you think that that's a decision that has already been made or passed and you won't have to make that decision but really think about it is that is if Harriet Tubman came what is it that would stop you and I just want you to be thinking about that as we go through this conversation so what we're about to do now is go into what we call the Sankofa shadow work and what Sankofa shadow work is about is go back and fetch it right to go back and get it so Sankofa shadow work means that when we explore topics like I create my life, when we explore the topics around our freedom, let's go back. Let's go back and talk about that, right? And talk about what are those things that may stop you in the present from going 
if you answer that question, if Harriet Tubman would come, if you have any doubt about it or if you caught up in, I'm not sure, or right, like, does it have electricity, right? Like, is Netflix there? Will I still be able, what's the, right? Like, whatever you're attached to, that's great. Just think about that, right? And so with that, I want us to explore the answer no, that you wouldn't go. I I want us to explore the answer with no shame or no blame to the question, no, I would not go. And whatever that reason is, I'm comfortable here. My parents are here. My friends are here. I'm familiar. All the answers that our ancestors would have given to being on the plantation, believe it or not, believe it or not, our ancestors, many of our ancestors, only 179,000 Africans ran from the South to, to the North. That leaves 4 million plus that was like, no, I'm good on that. Or it didn't come by them, right? Or it didn't, you know, it, 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 they didn't have the opportunity per se, right? And so the reason why we do the Sankofa shadow work is because what we are saying is that your reasoning for saying no is rooted in a trauma. There's been some past experience that has happened that has created an inability for you to either see how you create your life or to have you affirm that you create your life, that you are the one that is creating your life. So what has often been referred to as the middle passage African people have renamed the Ma'afa. And the reason why they've done that is because more people were lost than those that were put on boats, right? And so when Westerners talk about the lives that were lost in the Middle Passage, they are generally talking from their perspective, which is the money lost per body that was lost in cargo. They are not talking about the the millions of people that were killed in the attempt to get the enslaved people in the first place, nor are they talking about the millions of people that died once they were here, nor are they talking about the people that were raped, the people that didn't die, but were left maimed, that were left homeless, that villages were destroyed. That, that, that doesn't cover the middle passage. When they say the middle passage, they're just talking about the water journey. But there was a Ma'afa, for those of you who have been back to Africa, been back to Ghana, Nigeria, those areas, the slave dungeons are still there, right? The, his, the history is still present there around the Holocaust that happened there. And so when we use the term Ma'afa, we use it to explain the original injury or the way it's a Kiswahili term that means the great disaster, not just the journey over the water. It's the the invading of our homes. It was the soldiers coming. It was the sailors coming. It was the rape pillaging in, in, in order to get the bodies in the first place. And it incorporates everything that took place on the plantation and everything that would come up until now. It's called the Ma'afa. I'm not going Sankofa backwards merely to give a history lesson. What I'm seeking to explain here is the injury, the real trauma that is incurred inside of our bodies 
today because of the ma'afa that happened yesterday. And there are two books that explain this better than any other books I've ever seen explain it so that you just don't think that this is like this is a science that people have endeavored to study and to lay out. Those books are My Grandmother's Hands is one book that talks about the trauma that lives inside of our bodies today that can be traced back to our experiences on the plantation to our experiences on through the Middle Passage, our experiences in the Ma'afa. The other book, which I don't have readily, is a book by Dr. Joyce DeGruy that's called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. And that book lays out that what we are seeing today, as far as our relationships, as far as how our youth are dealing with each other, as far as the violence, as far as our toxicity, as far as our drinking issues, All of that can be traced back to the trauma that was incurred through the plantation, through the ma'afa. The reason why you're dealing with trauma right in this moment, the reason why some of you have anxiety and you can't really link that anxiety to anything, the reason why some of you may have fears and you can't put your fingers on where that fear originated, the reason why some of you are, are dealing with tension is rooted in the collective experience of your particular bloodline. And in the Western sense, that sounds ridiculous. And they would have never studied it had not there been a Jewish Holocaust. But through the Jewish Holocaust, they went back and actually were able to determine that the Jewish people suffer from post-Holocaust syndrome, right? And that it actually had an impact on their DNA, and that it changed their body types. It changed the way that they thought. It, it it changed the way that they related with each other and the world. Epigenetics. The study of epigenetics is actually verifies exactly what I'm talking about and what these authors are talking about insofar as the trauma that occurred to us is still with us today and it's not being dealt with at all. By and large, it is not being dealt with. And not only is it not being dealt with, we're piling more shit on top of it daily. The experience that our children are having in this schools is piled right on top of everything else that's that's occurred over the last, like it's, it's there's no time out. And this is why we created the To Heal the, the, to Heal the People campaign. It's because we want to bring awareness that this is going on. So this brings us to the idea of I create my life. And and there's a couple of questions here. We've taught this idea of I create my life. And one of the first things that come up, especially when you're talking to oppressed people or people that have experienced marginalization, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is this idea, are, are we trying to victim shift? Away, if I create my life, why the hell did I have these quote-unquote bad experiences that I've had in my life? Like, that doesn't jibe for a lot of people, right? To some, that creates a deep level of discomfort. For those of you who come from my generation or close by, there's a, a hip-hop philosopher who I love and have followed 
throughout his whole career. And his name is KRS-One. For there's anybody who's like 30 and younger, y'all don't know who the hell I'm talking about. That's okay. That's part of this. That's part of the ma'afa working there if you don't know who KRS-One is. And so he does this discussion around who is the I in when we say, I create my life, right? And he Africanizes or, or, or decolonizes this idea of what the Western eye is. The Western eye is the body only. In the in African indigenous term, I is much larger than that. And he breaks that down because once you come from that perspective that I create my life using the big I, then you understand the same and it, then you can be empowered through that big I. And why we wouldn't run would be the same reason that we wouldn't listen to that voice or practice listening to that voice that would be telling us to run, right? To tell us that we'll be okay, to tell us that we'll be all right, and answer back. You're going to be all right, Maleta? Yeah, girl, we're going to be all right. Let's go ahead and get this run on, right? Like, we, we leave it. But if we're shutting that down, which is essentially access to our true selves, then we are cut off. As a people, as individuals and as a people, we are cut off from, from, from that source. In the West, they focus as if those five senses, that's all that there is, right? Like there's nothing that exists outside of that fifth sense. But we know that that sixth sense, which is intuition, that's Black people's jam, right? That's where we, like, that, that sixth sense is, is very deep within us. So I want us to talk about how our ancestors... Now, again, we're going down the rabbit hole. How our ancestors predicted that that was going to be something that that occurred. And they predicted it through the stories that they were telling during their time. Now, there's four or five stories that I could tell. The oldest story that I know of is the story of Osir. And I'll tell that one, but the story of Osir is also the story of Hiram Abiff, which comes out of the Messianic uh, tradition. It's also the story of the Lion King. It's also the story of Aladdin. That All of those, those stories that Disney's making millions of dollars off of today, those are old African tales, as is evidenced by the fact that, like, intuitively, why did they use Lion King and them being in Africa to tell that particular story? Right. And the reason why is it comes from the, this much older story called Osir. And I want to tell the story. Real, I'm going to give the super abbreviated version, but I want to tie it to the trauma that we've experienced and why we have to heal a people and what this project is based upon as far as shifting back into our, our healthy mindset. So the story of Osir, there's a story that there was a great king and his name was Osir. And he had a wife named Aset. And during his kingdom, there was a reign of peace. There was a reign of love. There was a, everything was in order, in divine order. Osir had a jealous brother named Set. This is where the, the Europeanized version of this becomes Seth or Satan, right? That comes from this, this figure called Set. And Set was the jealous brother you can see this in Lion King of, in, in Lion King, it was Scar. In the original story, it, it was set. And he plots to murder his brother and take over his throne. 
He does so. Sets up an ambush. He, he builds a coffin. He asks his brother to get in the coffin. They nail the coffin shut. Buries it in the water. His wife, Aset, remains loyal to him as the true king. And she goes around to 14 different places around the planet Earth and gets all of his body together, brings it together, and they conceive of a child called Heru. This child is now the son of the king. And so when Set finds out that there's a new son who's the rightful heir of the throne, y'all should start hearing some Christian themes pick up in here, the story of, right, the killing of the first sons. That's an older story. He orders all the firstborn sons killed. Aset hides him, raises him. He comes to, to, to fruition. He overthrows his uncle Set, and he imprisons him and makes him work for his kingdom for, for good. That's the, that's the quick, the quick messy version of, of that story. Again, if you break down that story, and those stories exist all over the continent of Africa and in the diaspora, wherever you find people of color, that story exists of the rightful people being murdered and enslaved and there being a uh, usurper of the throne. And it's necessary that there be an overthrow by his progeny. So I want you to think of this story and the stories like it and how it relates to your life right now in the sense that there are pieces of you that have been murdered by the system that we currently exist in. Some people have lost their, you know, have doubted their intuition. Some people have doubted their efficacy to learn. Some people have doubted their femininity or their masculinity, right? All of these isms and schisms that we have been saddled with from having the big I quieted and murdered and, and, and entombed inside of us, laying there dormant because we have, shut it down. So here's the question that I have for you. What behavior or trait that you've either struggled with in the past or you're currently struggling with right now, can you identify as a post-traumatic slave syndrome trait? Just so that we're clear, procrastination comes from trauma. Right. Procrastinating comes from not thinking that you have the ability to manifest or having the energy to continue through doing what is necessary to manifest what it is that you've envisioned in here, your inner vision. So let me say that one more again. What behavior, either past or in your present, can you directly relate to an injury that may have come out of your experience of the ma'afa that could have been handed down to you or that you're experiencing in the moment, right? Because let's be, let's be clear. Let's keep it 100 right now. This, one, this, this may sting a little bit, but let me keep it 100. When we are acting out of our most free that we are seen as the highest threat to the system that we are existing in. So 
This is why drums couldn't be played on a plantation. This is why we had to form and collect ourselves at night. This is why, right, like we had to hide so much even within the songs that we used, right? And so there is a piece of our genetic learning that says when we are our fullest selves that we are in danger. And so we have to hide ourselves. We have to minimize ourselves. We have to not follow through with ourselves. And that's a survival mechanism that we have to rework if we want to create our lives. That at a given point, either you're working to build the world that, that they have created or you're working to build your own. I should have said water a long time ago. Water. And this is what we have to understand, what the educational system that we are all involved in or most of us came through is for conformity. It's not to educate. It's to educate you how to conform. Right? So I I was reading this book by this brother, Christopher Emden. Christopher Emden said this. He said it's the children that are rebelling inside of schools the most that are the most emotionally wise and articulate ones inside of public education. It's the boys and girls that are getting kicked out of class that are rebelling against this conformity that is happening to them. And so that's where he goes to find genius. That's where he goes to nurture that nonconformist spirit. And we see it in the West, right? When you look at the billionaires that exist in, even inside of the Western system, it's those that rebelled and shut down or ejected themselves out of that Western education. The Bill Gates, the Steve Jobs, all of these multi-billionaires refused to continue to go through that educational system because they understood what it was going to do to them or what it was doing to them, right? That part. in 2022, we do understand that there's a difference between surviving and living. So surviving, you can survive, but until you take on the, I create my life mindset, you won't be living. You'll be a shell, right? But there won't be the spirit moving through the shell because if you read the slave narratives, there were really two major groups of slaves that existed on the plantation. There were those that were born on the plantation and there were the new Africans that were brought over fresh from Africa. And there's one group that white folks hated dealing with. They only did it because they needed to continue to go on. And it wasn't the ones that had already been there. Has anybody seen that experiment with fleas? That if you put fleas inside of a jar and you close the jar, fleas have the ability to hop about 20 feet high. But if you put them in a jar, once they hit their head for about two or three minutes, they will no longer jump higher to hit their head on, on, on the jar. Not only that, so you could take the jar off and they will no longer jump out the jar. Not only that, their progeny will inherit that information and they will no longer jump out the jar either. So go look at this experiment. This is exactly what has happened to us as a people. We had the plantation jar placed on top of us 
And we've learned, many of us, and you're, you're talking about the, the things, the behavior that you've learned so that you don't hit your head on top of that jaw. And so what we're saying is take the cap off of that jar and go back into the process of leaping up out of you create your life. Hop out of that experience. That experience was for survival. African people who were fresh off the continent that were brought to the plantation, many of them would rather die in the sea or holding a machete or running north than they would just having been born on the plantation for generations. Okay. Water and breath. This is our lived experience and evidence that a crime has occurred. A crime against our souls. How are we going to heal that? That is what we are here to do. We are here to change our mindsets to say the lid is off the jar. Jump. Jump. The procrastination, the self-doubt, the inner anger, the all of that has to be let go in order for you to create your life and move out of that jar. You know what happens when crabs are in a barrel. <laughs> and we know that crabs ain't born in a barrel. Crabs were put in a barrel. That part of the whole narrative gets left out when they talk about black folks act like crabs in a barrel. They forget to tell you that crabs ain't born in a barrel. Somebody put them in that situation. So what are we going to do in order to liberate ourselves from that experience? And the first thing that we have to change is our mind, not our place, not there's, is, there's no place to, to go externally, right? We all have to tap back into the, the big I, right? I asked you first to think of those things that would stop you from um, jumping out of the jar. Now what I'm asking for you to do is to articulate what would your life look like if you started the process of jumping out the jar, Now, I know that's a hard-ass question for people to answer, right? You might have to give up something that is comfortable and safe in order to get there. I want you to do one last thing. This is the exercise of writing down what your life looks like in 90 days. What will you be doing that you're not doing right now or you're doing more of? What will you have tried or have have sought to accomplish? What does your life look like in 90 days if you allow yourself to step into that power that we're talking about? If you were going to create your life, even just pretending, if you were going to create your life, what does your life look like in 90 days? And take some time to really write that out. Right. And as you're writing it out, don't write it out and say in 90 days, I will be blah, 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 blah. 
write it as if you are at that 90 days into the future. So you'll be saying over these past 90 days, today I wake up on time. I do my meditations. I have quit my job or I've gotten a promotion, right? Like state it in the present. Don't state it in the future, right? State it in the present, and allow it to be a creative statement. What does the the version of you in 90 days look like? And we're going to show and prove through this process how you create your life. I create my life. Yes, 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 there it is. Season two, episode one is done. Go ahead and rewind that a few times. Send it over to your friends and family members that you know that are on the same wavelength, on the same vibration, looking to do something new, something powerful, uh, and and just need some information and and a, a, a healing push in order to move into that space. And on that note... Remember to stay calm and strong. This is H Soul on behalf of everyone here at To Heal the People. Out.